On this episode of the Breaking the Game Show, Austin and I celebrate our 50th episode together. And on this episode, we talk about two 50-point games that happen. We talk about the Utah Jazz losing to the Los Angeles Clippers. And then we debut our new segment, what we call the Backpage News segment. And we're going to highlight the New Orleans Pelicans. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll be right back after this break. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Break in the Game show here on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. I'm Stephen Gillespie, and joining me for our 50th episode since we've rebranded the Break in the Game show and have set up a co-host style show, Austin Carr. Congratulations, good sir, on our 50th episode and the rebranding of Break in the Game. How's it going, man? Yeah, man. Thank you. You too. It's going great. You know, you told me the other day we were, this was going to be our 50th show. And, and when I, when I heard that it blew me away because it, it feels like we've hardly been doing this very long at all. But then, you know, I look back at all the, all the cool things that we've already gotten to do for, for the listeners and for ourselves. And it's, it, and we've done a lot. So I'm, I'm proud to be a part of the group, man. How are you yeah, doing absolutely. I'll dude, I'm doing outstanding. I'm, I'm thrilled to death that, you know, I, for one that I've known you for as long as we have like we we met during last year and it's mm-hmm. just crazy to me like you said that that it's already been 50 episodes it's mm-hmm. just a lot of people don't make it as far as what we've done now and we've gone right. a long way from you know just doing it for the fun of it to all of a sudden our, both of us are on you know the the off the ball network together and then we get picked up by this amazing place called you know the nothing but net channel here on dash radio and you know just just kicking it man and it's Mm -hmm. awesome and we have a a fellow podcaster the shooter shoot basketball podcast wrote in and said correct congratulations on 50 thank you guys so much you guys do a lot of great work too recommend go checking them out Mm -hmm. but yeah austin it's a it's awesome it's been a pleasure just serving alongside you for 50 episodes man you know, I, I remember back when I was starting my own podcast or thinking about getting into it on, by myself, and I would see people's shows who had like 35, 40 episodes and thought to myself, man, that sounds like forever from, from here, but it <laughs> flies by for sure. Yeah. And like, like we've been saying, it, it's been fun, you know, hopefully here's to, here's the 50 more times 50 more times 50 more times 50 right. more. And, uh, speaking of which, what, what a great time to have our 50th yes. episode, because we've had a pair of 50 point games we, the NBA couldn't have scripted this better for us themselves. Thank you so mm-hmm. much NBA for allowing this to happen. So Austin, we've had Jamal Murray against the Cleveland Cavaliers put up 50 piece. And mm-hmm. then we also had Joel Embiid against the Chicago Bulls pull up a 50 piece. Kind of what stood out to you between these two and the way that these gentlemen went about getting their 50 points? Um, well, the just the the polar opposites kind of in the in terms of how they got their 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 points. You know, on one side you've got Joel Embiid, who I think took 17 free throws, three free throw attempts to, and I made 15 to get to his 50. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, you've got Jamal Murray, who's a guard who usually when you think of good free throw shooting, you think of, of guard play more often than not. And he became the first 50 point scorer to not even attempt a free throw in a game, which is, is crazy to me just considering like how often he attacks the basket, you know, at least in general and how much, mm-hmm. you know, how active he is. It's, it was pretty crazy when I saw that. 
And, you know, I've been talking up Embiid. He's my boy. So he had our back and got us this, this 50-point game so we could talk about it on our 50th episode. Yeah, I mean, for all those who are kind of new to what Austin and I, the way that we do our shows, the way we evaluate things, we put a lot of thought, time, effort, and energy in when we prepare for these shows. And then also just whenever we start preparing for the early season MVP votes and things like that, Joel Embiid is the favorite for both of us. A lot of people mm-hmm. at the Off the Ball Network believe that Joel Embiid right now is the front runner for the uh, you know most valuable player award in the NBA. But Jamal Murray kind of came into the season, Austin, as a little bit of mm-hmm. underwhelming, you know, almost a disappointment, if you will, right? You know, mm-hmm. because the Denver Nuggets hadn't been doing so hot. Nikola Jokic had been that steadfast player. He himself had his first fifty-point game a couple weeks back in a you know amazing fashion mm-hmm. but Jamal Murray has not really stepped out to you know look like he was ascending in the bubble to be a superstar mm-hmm. he hadn't had a performance like that this season but then again you know this past Friday against the Cleveland Cavaliers at Cleveland by the way played 38 minutes he shot 21 of 25 from the floor that's 84% quick math if you will mm-hmm. uh, 8 of 10 from three point line Jeez. I'm from Arkansas I can do you know, division with 10s, that's 80%. We mentioned already zero free throw attempts. If you're breaking down the number of possessions that he had and converting that into how many times he scored per possession, that's 1.92 points per possession. That's insane. Almost right. two points every time he had the ball in his hand. Um, he drew four fouls, committed four, only had two assists, did get six rebounds, two steals, and only one turnover in this 50-point game, Austin. That's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And then to wrap it up, Again, the most points scored by someone without a single free throw attempt in NBA history, Austin. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just it's almost mind boggling just to hear you say that, because my mind keeps going back to those playoff games and those bubble games where he had these 50 point games and he was taking over, you know, down three, one twice and, and pulled his team back. And and he was like, just kind of like breakneck to the rim over and over. I mean, he shot a lot of threes too, but it was like, you know, he's going to put his head down and, and go through the guy to get to the basket if he had to. And, you know, usually smaller, he's not small, small, but non, you know, guys that are six, eight, six, nine guys, his size mm-hmm. tend to get, you know, beat up a little bit when they go, when they go in the lane, like he does. And to shoot 21 of 25, like I, when I, I hear that, I think the only thing I think of is like, that's like a Thursday night for Zion. But you know, <laughs> other than that, that's crazy. A perimeter player to only miss four out of 25 shots. Yeah, an 8 to 10 from deep is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned earlier on the flip side of that, we had a completely different style of play to get to 50 points with Joel Embiid against Chicago on that very same night. So we had 100 points combined on the same night between these two gentlemen. Right. It's insane. Uh, Joel Embiid played three minutes fewer than Jamal Murray. He played 35 minutes, uh, shot 17 of 26 from the field. That's only 65% compared yeah. to the 84% from Jamal Murray. Uh, was one of two from the three-point line. And then it was 15 of 17 from the free throw line. So here we talk about a center being just automatic, shooting 88% from the free throw line. Mm-hmm. And then if you want to compare his points per possession to Jamal Murray's, he only had 1.43 points per possession. How about this, Austin? He drew 11 fouls and only committed to being the, mm-hmm. you know, their version of the stifle tower in Philadelphia, right? And then mm-hmm. the rest of his stats looked a little something like this, Austin. He actually had more assists than Jamal Murray. He had five assists, 17 rebounds, just as many steals with two, had four blocks, and had two turnovers compared to the one for Jamal Murray. So both of these gentlemen scored, 
They took care of the ball. They went about it in different ways. But Austin, as we do with everything NBA, I have to ask you this question. And real quick before I do, our vice president at the Off the Ball Network, Jeff Hunt, wrote in and said, I love these young players. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're right there with you, Jeff. Absolutely. These gentlemen did great. So, Austin, I have to ask you, who did it better? Um, well, I think you could kind of look at it in, in two ways and get uh, two different answers. There can only be one, Austin. Okay. I'll, I won't, I won't. I'm on, I'm on the show too, by the way. I'm going with Embiid. I think okay. for my money, I like, I like Joel Embiid. I think he did it better, you know, just for the fact that he almost fouled out two guys on the other team by himself without getting in foul trouble. And when I look at that total stat line, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of like Shaquille O'Neal stat lines yeah. from, from back in the 2000s. And what's interesting about that to me is who was the last center to win uh, MVP? That would be Shaquille O'Neal. Shaquille O'Neal. And mm-hmm. we're seeing Joel Embiid have a season that's very comparable to what Shaquille O'Neal was doing during his his prime with the Lakers. So, I, you know, I just think that's the writing on the wall, man. If the NBA doesn't get you know stuck in their minds that LeBron has to win it because he's 36 I guess uh you know Joel Embiid if you really just look at the the performances he definitely deserves to be the front runner so I like Murray I I think he he probably is a little more exciting to watch but for for my money I'm taking Embiid well and again it's all about perspective and what you enjoy watching in a game Mm -hmm. and Austin I would just let you know that the lovely fans on NBA Twitter I had a disagreement with them if you could ever believe me disagreeing with mm-hmm. with anybody about anything uh, yeah don't don't listen to him everybody he's not like this off outside of the show he's much <laughs> he's much more willing to to argue no i'm no I'm, I'm a nice guy i'm a nice he guy is, but anyway <laughs> but anyway uh, i was talking with the gentleman on nba twitter and i shared the same viewpoint as you i think that if you consider you know it's easy to fall in love with you know saying well jamal murray did it with with without a single free throw attempt and joel Embiid had you know 17 freebies well one they're not freebies you know you still have to go and get them the fact that joel Embiid is hitting an 88 percent clip from the free throw line as a seven foot center mm-hmm. pretty phenomenal i, I actually right. think that that's more impressive right uh, mm-hmm. i love the fact that he was aggressive you mentioned that he essentially pretty much fouled out two guys of the opposing team single-handedly and only committed two fouls himself only one more turnover than Jamal Murray, but he passed the ball more. He shared the rock more. He crashed the glass more and was more aggressive from the floor. So that's why I would say Joel Embiid. But like you said, Austin, since you went on and you know painted a very beautiful picture of why I agree with you, I will also give Jamal Murray credit and say that 8 of 10 from deep is pretty awesome. I mean, mm-hmm. it's almost at that Steph Curry, Zach Levine level. It was only a couple back from him. And the fact that he was 21 or 25, you mentioned Zion Williamson. What a what a great comparison. But to a guy who is probably not very much taller, but almost probably 100 pounds heavier right. <laughs> easily and than Jamal Murray. I thought it was interesting, you know, just when I was thinking about it in my mind, because on one hand, you got a, a physical monster that shoots from two feet away every time. And on the other hand, you've got a guy who is, you know, a little point guard and making almost every three he took, but it worked out well for both of them. How often do you see 21 out of 25? Jeez. It's, I mean, again, you, you, you have to be a big man for the most part to be mm-hmm. able to do this. And if you're a guard, I think of guys like Tony Parker and Kyrie Irving, you know, guys who could get to the paint and actually score mm-hmm. and, and were pretty creative around there. Jamal Murray, we, we know that he's, 
most known for, as a jump shooter, right? But he was able to get to the paint and finish around, you know, tough defensive positioning and, and did a good job. I'll tell you what, more and more as this this season plays out compared to the some of the performances we saw in the bubble, I think it's starting to become pretty clear who spent the time all, you know off during the shutdown working on their game and who, you know, sat on the couch watching TV because there was some guys that absolutely dominated their competition in in the bubble like some like in ways that I've never seen them do before. And it's not just Murray who hasn't lived up to that level of play. There's a lot of guys around the league that have, have kind of, and, and it's not even necessarily that they're doing anything worse or different. It's just, you know, it's kind of more of a, I feel like it's probably more of a little bit level playing field. Again, everybody's kind of back in their regular routines and stuff to an extent. So that was just something interesting that I've kind of been thinking about for a while. Well, it's not even just the players that that bought out in the bubble. Look at the teams mm-hmm. that made the Eastern and Western Conference Finals. Mm-hmm. Only one of the four teams that made mm-hmm. you know made it that far looks like they have a fairly legitimate chance of making it there again, that being the Los Angeles Lakers. Mm-hmm. Oh, but wait, they lost Anthony Davis, which we talked about a little bit last week. So mm-hmm. with that being said, you talked about how, you know, Jamal Murray hadn't been one of those guys that bought out in the bubble. And, and brought that into the season. Someone who did was Donovan Mitchell. And who does mm-hmm. Donovan Mitchell play for? That would be the Utah Jazz, which yes, is where be. we're going to segue next. That's a nice Man, little transition. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'll take a moment of silence for the transition. There you go. Okay, there we go. All right, so speaking of the Utah Jazz and taking a moment of silence, they finally lost the game, Austin, to the Los Angeles Clippers. It was mm-hmm. a close game. They were at L.A. They lose 116-112. to 112. Obviously, them being the one twelve of that of that score there. So, I remember watching this game, Austin, in the early part of it, and mm-hmm. it looked like Utah was going to get the 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 break speed off of them. And mm-hmm. you know, they made it a close game. It came down to the wire. They had a valiant effort. We know that they play team offense and team defense. Rudy Gobert does a tremendous job of locking up the back half of that defense. And then we saw, you know, a good game from Donovan uh, Bojan Bogdanovic. Clarkson had a decent game. Mike Conley Jr. had a good first half. He kind of tailed off towards the end of that game. Mm-hmm. And, but ultimately, the Clippers just had it that night. And it was probably the first game in a while that the Clippers were had their full complement of players and they looked like mm-hmm. they were actually, you know, gunning for a win against a good team. Like it looked like right. they truly wanted a win for once mm-hmm. this season. Again, you know, I, I talked about this earlier, Austin, that I want the Clippers to have a season that means something. And now that they mm-hmm. won this game, it's, you know, almost like, okay, well, whatever, show it to me in the playoffs, right? That's that's always where it goes when the Clippers mm-hmm. have a good game. You know, it's what do you what have you done for me in the right. playoffs? Oh, definitely. And I, I, it bothers me to an extent, but at the same time, it's the Clippers and they're always going to be a little brother no matter what. So it, it doesn't hurt me too much. But just mm-hmm. in general, the whole the whole mindset that, at a certain point, nothing matters what you do in, in, until the playoffs. Like it does, because I think this was a pretty big win for the Clippers. You know, obviously Utah's been on on a roll, almost un, unbeatable for uh, the better part of, of you know 30, 30 day calendar month, and they had looking at the numbers. I mean, I watched five minutes of the game live and caught all the highlights looking at the numbers. It looks like a game that the jazz should win. If you look at mm-hmm. what their guys did. And so it seems to, it sounds to me like the Clippers, you know, were healthy and showed that this is kind of the issue. Everybody 
still kind of has with the Jazz, even though they've won so much, is at, at their best, are they better than the Clippers? At their best, are they better than the Lakers when they're all at their best? And they haven't, you know, they don't have a track record to show that. Even, they've been extremely consistent, and I, for one, do think they, they pose a threat to both those teams. But it, a, a loss like this to the Clippers doesn't help the Jazz. And if it was anybody but the Clippers, that's all they would be talking about after this was what a state was a statement win. But because it's the Clippers, they don't they don't get to have statements until the playoffs. Correct. Yeah, their statements are reserved for when it matters the most. But we talk about the top three of the Western Conference right now. I got the standings in front of me, Austin. Utah has fallen all the way down to two games ahead of the Clippers and the Lakers. Uh, both LA teams are tied right now for second place, with I believe the Clippers holding the tiebreaker, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Utah is nine and one in their last ten. That's just pathetic. You know they they lose right. a game and it's just awful. They're wasn't, on a one game. Wasn't it Ronnie Brewer that said uh, <laughs> Thibodeau wanted them at least seven and three, and those nine and ones weren't even good enough all the time? Yeah, I mean, I mean and, I and this is a guy Ronnie Brewer who played um, in Utah, but he also played under Thibodeau. So um, two different coaching styles, but ultimately very demanding coaches at the end mm-hmm. of the day. So. Again, the Utah Jazz right now, they're they've won eighty percent of their games, Austin. But mm-hmm. it's they're a team that if they lose a game like this and it's a blowout, I was talking with this from a couple of our car leagues at the Off the Ball Network, um, where you can go to offtheballnetwork.com for all your sports needs, by the way. And we were saying that if they got blown out by the Clippers, it would take so much for them to to get any sort of validity uh, from big media, right? Because mm-hmm. The Jazz, they don't have your prototypical star big wing player. You know, they don't have a, a second banana. Rudy Gobert, for all the improvements that he's made this season, for as great of a defender as he is, he doesn't really get a lot of credit for being a legit second guy. Uh, the rest of the teams, their their next best player is arguably coming off their bench. You can argue Mike Connolly could be that third best player. And then the rest of it is just a concerted team effort. And Quinn Snyder has done a great job of maximizing all of them together. One of the most cohesive teams. I keep bringing that up because I think mm-hmm. that that's important, right? That one of the most co they're one of the most cohesive teams coming in from last season. And I think that's why they're at an 80% win streak, Austin. Yeah, I think so too. And I think we talked about this a little bit on the last show. They're one of the few teams that's, you know, at the top of their conference that really feels like they have something to prove in the regular season. You know, even if the Clippers feel that way, no one's going to care. Apparently the Lakers, they, they just did it last year. They know what they're capable of. The, the bucks have done it, been number one, two years in a row. And, you know, the nets, the nets obviously have shown no signs of worry about anything in their game. They they're convinced that they are just going to drop 180 anytime they need to. So they're getting better on defense. Oh, they are. They are. I I think in the playoffs, you're going to see them really surprise some people who aren't aren't ready for that. But anyway, the the Jazz kind of just feel like the one team that really has a chip on their shoulder, you know, collectively like, hey, we've been good for four or five years. You guys just haven't really noticed it that much. And we've had some some rough outings in the playoffs a couple times, but they're always there. And when we were doing our preseason rankings, I, I did four or five different ones and I had them, I had them second and one and I, I was confident about it. And then I was looking at it for a day or so. And I was like, they could finish as far down as like seventh or eighth, possibly. And I had the eighth coming I think into I the ended season. Up, I think I ended up with six. I, I didn't look, but it's somewhere around there. So I should have, you know, I should, obviously should have kept them higher, but you know, they've, they've been this team for quite a while. And that does definitely show in how 
well they've been playing this year. They they don't have a lot of new pieces to kind of bring in. And it, it shows that they like playing together. Yeah, and again, just looking at this game, it's, it's a good win for either team, and it's not really a bad loss for either team either. You know, you can argue that either way. You know, you always want to say that, yeah, we can beat the top teams no matter what, but you it's a four-point loss. We know that that's not really indicative of you know, how close the game actually was because of fouls and stuff mm-hmm. like that that kind of happened at the end. But, you know, Donovan Mitchell had 35. Bojan Bogdanovich had 21 on 8 of 11 shooting. I mean, that's that's efficient right there. Mm-hmm. Jordan Clarkson coming off the bench shot 53%, had 19 points. Mike Conley was 16 points as a, as a starter. And, you know, overall the team shot almost 48% from the floor. They shot 35% from deep. 85% from the line. They had 36 rebounds, 13 assists, six blocks, seven steals, 10 turnovers, 50 points in the paint, and 22 fouls. So when you compare that against what the Clippers did, the Clippers shot 48% from the floor, 33% from deep, 90% from the line. They out-rebounded the Jazz, which was huge and kind of surprising when you look at the makeup yes. of both of these teams. You don't really anticipate the Clippers out-rebounding the Jazz, but they had 45 rebounds, 11 of those on the offensive rebounds plus five actually on the offensive boards Mm. they had 22 assists to the jazz's 13 you would think that that would almost be inverse coming Mm -hmm. into this game right and then you know four blocks five steals 44 points in the paint so less scoring out on the inside and they committed fewer fouls by only two so running through those numbers austin you would almost think coming in that they would that due to the game plan and the the you know the the construct of both of these teams Mm -hmm. that the jazz would come in passing the rock more but the clippers surprisingly have a deep team and i think that that was one of the negative marks against them coming into this year yeah i I think you're you're exactly right that's exactly what i was thinking you know it it turns out these guys may actually like playing together and you know everybody's a little too nervous and worried about they don't have a leader and they they don't really get along that well it's the nba you're gonna have guys that have big egos and guys that rub each other the wrong way in a locker room every in every team usually i mean i'm i'm sure there's never been an nba team that's never had an issue with teammates not getting along for at least a little while and (laughs) you know winning cures all and they're winning quite a bit again this year um but like I said at the start, if you just look at the the box score and see, oh, you know, the Clippers shot pretty well, but not nearly as good as they have been from three this year. And boy, the Jazz looked like everybody that they needed to do to do their thing did their thing. I, I'm sure this was probably a, a close game, and the Jazz pulled it out. And you know, obviously that wasn't the case, but it was it was a a, a fairly close result for two teams that I think showed a lot of people. Both teams showed a lot of people you know, something in that game, because I think a lot of people don't believe in the Clippers. And I also think a lot of people have felt like when the jazz get down like that, they would just fold. And the fact that they didn't and that they made it a game, you know, speaks volumes. Yeah, absolutely. And we're right now we're giving the actual winner of this game, the the Clippers, a little bit of the Utah jazz treatment, because Throughout most of the year, the Jazz are just winning, winning, winning. And they're like, oh, yeah, the Jazz are winning. But, you know, did you see Zion Williamson dunk the ball yesterday? Or the Jazz are winning, winning, winning. 
you know, LeBron James, you know, looked pretty good in his game or Luka Doncic in a losing effort, put up a triple double. Or how about mm-hmm. Brad Bill leading the league in scoring? Utah right. is not wasn't getting any love up until this point. And now we're giving the Clippers a little bit of that Utah treatment. Mm-hmm. So let's touch on some of their players. Utah really doesn't have anything to be upset about in this game. And here's why I say that they held. I said they held, but Kawhi Leonard had 29 points, but he only shot 41 percent from the floor. Mm-hmm. Lou Williams shot had 19 points. Patrick Beverly and Marcus Morris each had 17. And Paul George only, quote-unquote, only had 15 points on 6 of 14 shooting. So mm-hmm. it was really the the others, as we like to say, right, mm-hmm. on the Clippers that stepped in. You, that's huge having Patrick Beverly and Marcus Morris each have 17 points. If either of those guys don't have, you know, probably an A-plus game, the Jazz are, are winning this. You know, they held right. Kawhi to almost 40% scoring. They held Paul George to just under 43% scoring. That's what you want to do when you go up against the Clippers. But, you know, the other guys and Lou Williams actually had one of his better games of the season. Right. 19 points on 8 of 14 shooting. Uh, didn't shoot very well from deep, but was just very efficient, made all the right plays throughout the course of the game, Austin. And, you know, I I think I wanted to mention Lou Williams, too. I'm glad you said something about him because he did have, you know, kind of a throwback game for him, it seems like. And I think, honestly, if you really think about it, the career of of LeBron James has kind of skewed the way we think about players in the NBA. Like, Mm -hmm. Lou Williams has been around forever. He's, yeah, he came out of high school too, just right. like LeBron. He's been in the NBA, it seems like my whole life, and <laughs> you know, and he's a a pretty you know slight build guy. He's you know he's played forever. He, his body's got to be you know getting to the point where it's going to wear down. I mean, most NBA players about thirty five, thirty six is when you really start seeing that drop off. And, and he might be six foot. Right, that's what I mean. You don't see little, very many little guys in the NBA last that long either. So, you know, I think some of the the bashing of him and saying that he showed up out of shape and that he maybe doesn't have as, enough drive anymore is is kind of unfair. Uh, you know, it was a shortened season, off season after a crazy pandemic that the season ended not the way they wanted it to end at all. And, you know, it takes sometimes it takes guys that are 34, 35, a lot longer to get to, to recuperate from a long NBA season than it does a guy who's 25. I mean, I'm 31 and there's days where, you know, just standing on my feet at work too long, make me feel like I can't get out of bed. So, you know, imagine, you know, getting bashed to the ground by guys like Steven Adams for a living. So, you know, Lou Williams looked good, but I'm not hundred percent confident. He can keep that up all year. And like you said, Patrick Beverly and Marcus Morris both showed up in this game at the same time that Lou Williams showed up. And yeah, it looks great when all of it happens at the same time. But are we confident that that's going to happen a lot going forward? I, I, I'm not really in playoffs, in playoff scenarios, I mean. But at the same time, I kind of get the feeling like I got about the Lakers last year where they've got Paul George, they've got Kawhi. If any one of the other guys plays pretty well, they're they're going to compete and have a really good chance to win. So, you know, there you said that we were giving them the Utah Jazz treatment. I think the Clippers and the Jazz are, are very alike in how little they've been talked about. So, uh, you know, they definitely deserve some more some more shine than they've been getting. Yeah, and again, I can't speak to how how impressive it was that the Jazz did what you want to do against the Clippers and the mm-hmm. Clippers just ultimately at the end of the day 
mm-hmm. did enough to get by. Right. The the rebounding is is pretty interesting. Like you said, I would never have guessed that the the Clippers would out rebound a team like the Jazz. And I think that uh, Ivica Zubats has had all you know. He's improved quite a bit. He's he's had a a, a lot of um, you know influence on those rebounding numbers i i haven't watched him a whole lot live since the first game of the year but i remember him grabbing rebound after rebound against the lakers and it i just felt like he was a lot more aggressive than i had seen him before well yeah and the addition of serge abaka who had been starting mm-hmm. at center for the clippers kind of minimizes uh Zubac's role to where he doesn't have to do more than what he is comfortable doing so mm-hmm. now he can come in and be that rebounder screen setter rim runner and right every once in a while protect the basket for you but Mm -hmm. again i just the clippers you know they pulled out a good game the jazz did what you want to do when you you play against Kawhi leonard and paul george you held them to you know low 40 percent shooting and everybody else just stepped in and beat you so and again that's only their sixth loss of the year though sorry to cut you off awesome but that's let's let's not sugarcoat it like paul george might be the butt of a lot of jokes, but he's having an incredible year. Like his, his shooting numbers have been off the charts. We're talking like 50, 50, 90, like numbers that people would like laugh at and be like, Oh, was that like a seven game sample? There's no way you can keep that up. (laughs) And it's almost, you know, 30 games now. So he's having a, a season for the ages for sure. And they, they shut him down pretty well. So that was impressive. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Austin, that's going to wrap it up for the Utah Jazz uh, discussion here. And hopefully I they love can, the jazz. I love the jazz, too. Hopefully, Utah, you can keep up your they, wing. They rate. have a star, by the way. I'm tired of hearing this. They don't have a superstar <laughs> in Utah. Donovan Mitchell, what more does he need to do? I, I don't know. Play play on a bigger market. Like That's really mm-hmm. the only exactly. thing I think that he could do to change perception of who he is. And Rudy Gobert, same thing too. And how crazy is it that all offseason we were talking about, they got to break these guys up. They got to break these guys up. They don't like each other. They hate playing with each other. You know, Donovan hates Rudy. Like that was the whole narrative. And now here they are, even off of a loss. Rudy Gobert started COVID, right? Well, yeah, he invented, I think. I think that he was in a lab. Yeah, uh, with the coat and the glasses, and you know, had the, his beakers and Bunsen burners and all those other yeah. tools. Created COVID, brought it here to the states from evil, mm-hmm. you know, France, and coughed tried it on to everybody's microphones, coughed it on everyone's microphone, and tried to sabotage the NBA. Mm-hmm. And uh, against you know, because he's such a bad person, his evil plan didn't work. So, right. and so they <laughs> rewarded him with two hundred million dollars. Correct, and the best record in the nba mm-hmm. and he is the he i did have ben simmons as my defensive player of the year but since the past couple weeks of mm-hmm. that i think that rudy gobert has jumped him and i know that it's crazy that i'm on the radio i'm on nothing but net on dash radio i'm a radio personality and i changed my mind mm-hmm. isn't that nuts that you can like look at look it's, at change of evidence and have and your opinion using- change with that evidence yeah, it's it's I, I, I it's uncomfortable feeling. I don't I don't know really how this works. Usually, <laughs> the only time anyone ever does that, they can they act like they never said the thing that was wrong in the first place. So, well, yeah, and it's we just made it to fifty episodes. I hope mm-hmm. that the you know that the editors and that the producers on Dash Radio will still have us on with mm-hmm. their sports personality changing so his mind live on the air. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> we'll try to keep that to a minimum. I'll, I'll try my best to, you know, keep my foot, my feet planted and just overlook things and just say that I still believe in Ben Simmons this being the guy. I but anyway, seriously, I'm going to think 
<laughs> I'm all right. So I'm done ranting. But anyway, I think that Rudy Gobert has jumped ahead of Ben Simmons as mm-hmm. the uh, best defender in the NBA. Did you know that he's like has the most defensive possessions of anybody in the entire I, NBA? I actually and did see that in something I was looking up the other day. And I believe that he is top seven last time I looked in points per possession, which the most most defensive possessions and you're still like top five or seven mm-hmm. in points per possession. And the guys ahead of you aren't like running away with it either. Like that's right. just, that's nuts. Right. And Absolutely. they're probably not getting even close to the number of defensive possessions he is. Absolutely not. He's like, I think he's last time I looked almost 200 possessions ahead of second place. That's insane. It is, which it's also insane that people still run at him. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. why would you do that to yourselves? You know, it's pretty interesting that we're we're talking about one of the few teams in the NBA that seems like they still care about defense because, you know, this this next segment that we're going to do and the team that we're going to discuss, yeah. I, I have I have my doubts about whether or not they think they care about defense very much. So, well, we will take what the bait that you just laid out and we will transition to the debut. Yes. On our 50th episode together, Austin, we are rolling out a new segment, completely unintentional, but we're going to make it sound like we knew that this was happening all right. along. We've been planning this for months mm-hmm. that on our 50th episode that we would debut a new segment that we are calling Backpage News. And yes. today we are going to feature, as you said, well, kind of sort of said, you were alluding to it, as they say, mm-hmm. uh, the New Orleans Pelicans. Now, Austin, what's the premise of Backpage News? So I, for one, think it's a great idea because when I was growing up, we still read newspapers. I got the newspaper every day. And one of the things I always loved about the sports section was the the stories on the back page or in the back couple of pages. They, sometimes they were local, sometimes they were professional stories, but they were stories about a, a feel good story or, or the exact opposite that you just don't hear much about. That's why it's on the back page. It's not going to draw a ton of people's attention, but if you take the time to read it, it, it should. And it is, you know, solid stories and good and, um, you know, news that needs to be talked about. So, you know, our, your idea, I think behind it was just to, to shed, shine some light on some things that people just are overlooking for whatever reason that we don't think they should be. Well, and it's because we had what we just talked about games like the Utah jazz Mm -hmm. versus the Los Angeles Clippers, but Mm -hmm. we're going to highlight the new Orleans Pelicans. Now, Austin, the reason that I wanted to bring them up is that Mm -hmm. this was a team that came into the season with lofty expectations and you know they have one of the most exciting young players in the NBA they have the reigning most improved player on their team as well it looked like they did everything that they could to get better outside of trading away Drew Holiday for you know a boatload of assets but you know they bring in Eric Bledsoe they bring in mm-hmm. Steven Adams they keep JJ Redick they have they developed all their young guys and then they bring in a guy who has been in the booth for a while in Stan Van Gundy after letting Alvin Gentry go, which we can debate whether or not that was the right move or not. I felt like at the time it wasn't fair because his limited sample with Zion Williamson, which we'll highlight here in a minute, but I totally get the entire body of work that he, he didn't do well with Anthony Davis. Now you can argue that the front office didn't either, but anyway, um, you know, coaching change, roster changes drafted. Well, I think in both of our eyes, we both like Kara Lewis jr. Mm -hmm. And he fell to them and they picked him up. But, um, Austin, what's been disappointing in your eyes about the New Orleans Pelicans? Um, just they're kind of just blah to me. Like they're not terrible. 
but they're not as good as I expected them to be. You know, I think the NBA front office, the way they scheduled the, the live games were pretty confident that they were going to be one of the most exciting, you know, teams that was going to improve quite a bit. And it just really hasn't materialized and they're not getting blown out and they're not in last place or anything like that. And I think my, um, you and I, at least our expectation expectations were fairly tempered. We, we figured they'd be in the playoff picture and currently they're, they're not. Yeah. So where did you have them rank? And I'm not like trying to like throw salt or anything. I, I couldn't I, find where you had them ranked in our previous work. Um, I'm pretty sure I had them in the play in tournament. I had them either okay. eighth or ninth. Yeah. Um, I think I had them, Memphis, the Suns, and Portland, I think were the four teams that I had in the in the seven, eight, nine, ten spots. I don't remember exactly which was which, but well, Austin, you weren't you weren't way off of one what I thought. I had them ninth mm-hmm. as well. But Vegas actually had them projected to be in ninth place too. I believe hmm. in a seventy-two game sample. They had them with 36 and a half wins. So, you know, you can't win a half game. So let's just round up and say that Vegas had them winning 37 games. Mm-hmm. Right now, Austin, in their first 30, they just played tonight and they did win. So a little bit of salt in our story. They won on the night that we're talking about them. But overall, that still brings them up to 13 and 17 mm-hmm. with a with new coach, with a building, you know, Zion Williamson, which I believe that today was his 53rd NBA game in two seasons. So mm-hmm. there's that aspect of it. But one thing I wanted to highlight, and I, and I feel like it's appropriate to do so, especially with how quick we are to dismiss coaches. Now, again, Alvin Gentry spent, I believe, about four or five seasons in New Orleans before he was dismissed. But I think it's appropriate to bring this up. So this season, as we mentioned, that they're 13 and 17. Currently, they're 12th place in the Western Conference. They have gone up a whopping one spot from where they finished last season, where they right. were 13th. Um, this season... In their first 29 games, not counting the game that they just beat the Boston Celtics in in a thrilling overtime victory, but their first 29 games, they were 12 and 17. Last season, they were 7 and 22. Now you would say, wait, Steven, that's marketed improvement. So what's your complaint? Well, Zion didn't debut until Mm -hmm. well after that point, right? So let's talk about what Alvin Gentry did with Zion Williamson because that's what Van Gundy is dealing with now. In 28 Mm -hmm. games, right, so one game fewer than what we had seen prior to this game from Stan Van Gundy. In 28 games, they won one more game. They were 13 and 15, right? So they actually did by victory and win percentage in fewer games did better under Mm -hmm. Alvin Gentry than they are with Zion Williamson. And you could argue that this is an improved roster from what they had last season, right, Austin? Right. Oh, definitely. And, you know, I'll kind of get into the, the, the roster a little bit here soon, but they're, they, they're, they're similar to last year, but there's, there's a lot of guys that I feel like that are, they could, it could be part of the reason that they're missing now that, you know, I, I think people maybe didn't really think that we're going to be missed that much. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because I think on paper, anybody would agree that they, they look like a deeper, more well-rounded team. And, and, you know, you had, you said it best. I mean, who wouldn't expect Zion, a full season with Zion to go better? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And we see now that Stan had, albeit a limited off-season training camp, things like that. He had more time with Zion Williamson than Alvin Gentry did, and he doesn't have, and he's not dealing with the minutes restriction aspect that Alvin Gentry had to dance around too when Zion did come back. So, 
not only did Alvin do more with a lesser roster when he had Zion Williamson, but he didn't get to implement Zion Williamson to the fullest. There was the the game against the Spurs, his very first game in the NBA, Austin. We were like, they could win this game if they weren't worried about Zion Williamson being made mm-hmm. of glass, you know, apparently, right? So it just seemed like Alvin Gentry that season, I completely ignore everything else that he did prior to, but that season it felt like Alvin Gentry was destined to be the fall guy. And exactly. Stan Van Gundy, we talked about him coming into the season and whether or not we need to temper our expectations for him because we like him as a broadcaster, so therefore he's going to be a great head coach, right? Like, not the yeah. case. We've seen him just like Jeff. We, we even did a side-by-side with him earlier in the year where he, after that NBA Finals appearance with Orlando, it was a precipitous drop, and we saw why he was let go. And the same thing with Detroit. He, did, he had more responsibilities and did a worse job. And then spent time in the broadcast booth, a la Steve Kerr, comes back in, uh, you know, to our eyes in that manner. And we just fall in love with him because he is a brilliant mind, but is he the right NBA head coach for a Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball style of roster? You know, I don't know. That's a good point. He's It's been quite a few years since he's really done much in terms of developing young players that he's had on his roster, because, you know, when he was with Detroit, everybody just blamed it on him trying to wear two hats and being the GM and the coach and kind of just never even considered the idea that maybe his coaching was more to more the, the culprit of their, you know, issues than him having too much to do. And I, I don't feel like the key guys on this team look like they've made significant improvements from last year. Like we just saw Brandon Ingram make one of the biggest leaps in recent memory from one year to the next. And he looks exactly like the same player from last year right now. And I know they had a shortened off season, but you know, guys in the NBA at his age, you hear it all the time. They tend to add something to their game every off season, you know, one year right after another. And right now he just, he hasn't shown that. And then there's a lot of, you know, the others, like you said, and, and bench guys that, just haven't let, played up to you know what they did last year with with you know with um, Van Gundy. Yeah, and Van Gundy right now he has two NBA All Stars on his team. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. think that it would be a surprise for many people to see Zion Williamson be an NBA All Star this season. I don't I right. don't think that Brandon Ingram is one this year, but he was one last year. Right, it's so a deep year for All Star for sure. So that's it, not a slight on him. It's really not, and I've talked about this before. There are about 16 guys in the Western Conference right now that I think deserve, quote-unquote, deserve uh, an all-star spot, but it's just not in the cards with the limitations on roster spots, right? So, right. I don't, and, and look at this, right? So, Austin, they're not completely – you mentioned that they're not a, a, a trash team. Right now in the NBA, they're sixth in field goal percentage. Mm-hmm. They're about league average and three-point percentage, which is kind of odd for a Van Gundy team, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 26 and free throw percentage. And a lot of that is just due to the fact that Zion Williamson gets to the line more than anybody in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And he's just not a knockdown three point shooter. Um, first in offensive rebounds, uh, 18th in defensive rebounds, which if you combine those two together, they're fifth in total. They're 13th in assists. I think that that's something that we were expecting. Mm-hmm. Uh, 14th in steals, 29th in blocks, um, 18th in turnovers, third in fouls, and eighth in points. So, Offensively, I think they're about where we were expecting, but right. I know that you wanted to highlight their defensive limitations. Yeah. Also. So 
you brought up a lot of a, a lot of good numbers and one of the real quick one of the glaring things that i see is you know you said you even said it it's weird for a van gundy team to be middle of the road from three and they were fifth in the nba in three-point shooting last year mm-hmm. and so that's that's a big drop off and that's a big part of their issue but let's talk about their defense a little bit you know 30th in the nba in assists given up per game that tells yeah. me that they've got a lot of inexperienced players who don't understand rotations and coverages quite well enough yet because mm-hmm. they're just it seems like the the offense is just picking their defense apart and then too the the they're really down towards the bottom in terms of the opponent's three point shooting against them which signifies to me that they're probably getting a lot of good open looks and they're an exciting team to watch on offense but it, not when they're giving up 120 points every game on defense. They're they're not, you know, the Nets who can who can live with that and still win. And mo- most teams aren't. And that's where I think Drew Holiday's missed the most because we know JJ Reddick's not a, a defensive stopper. Last year his, his numbers were okay. I think his net rating for the season was a plus five, and he's like a minus 12 right now. He's a his defensive rating is 126. And I think I, you can expect him to not be a defensive you know, force, but Drew Holiday was and kind of covered a lot of that up. And Eric Bledsoe is a huge downgrade in that aspect in my eyes. Um, he looked good and he looked good in Milwaukee, though, on the defensive end of the ball, didn't he? He, he did. And I, I don't know what it, what it is, but he's his numbers are or not he's i think his net rating is minus nine right now and drew holidays was like plus seven last year and mm-hmm. so those sound like small numbers but if you've got four or five guys who are significantly six or seven points worse than the last year that adds up so you know i right now they're just too young and not not quite good enough offensively to overcome the all the limitations they have on on defense especially on the perimeter well and i think too if you look at a guy like eric Bledsoe it's pretty easy to play risky defense on a team where you got, you know, the defensive player of the year and Giannis Antetokounmpo, arguably another defensive player of the year candidate in Brooke Lopez Mm -hmm. and other good defenders on that team too, like a Chris Middleton on this team. When your front court consists of Brandon Ingram, who for all of his offensive abilities, he's not really a great defender. You know, he can, do he could do a little bit of those come from behind blocks and stuff like that, but he's not really a set defender. Right. He's he's and got some Zion Williamson. Yeah, he's got some length. He's he's got a frame to where he could be a little mm-hmm. disruptive. But uh, and then Zion, he seems like he could be built to be a good defender, mm-hmm. but he and his leaping ability, especially on jump shots, helps him out a lot. But when you're talking about post defense, you look at these numbers uh, that I listed off on offense on the defensive end. They're the bottom third in field goal percentage allowed, you know, three point percentage allowed, and rebounds allowed. So, the the lack of a height for Zion Williamson, and the fact that he's only one player on the floor against an entire offense, it kind of hurts when you have that front court. And then again, Stephen Adams he missed time tonight in and out of the lineup. And then Jackson Hayes isn't really um, established himself as a great big. Hernan Gomez in and out. Melly is not a good defender either it doesn't seem like their front court would 
allow them to be a lockdown defense. Right. And, you know, I mean, if you really think about it, Zion Williamson has never really been taught how to play defense. I mean, think about his last few seasons before he came into the NBA. He played for Duke where, yeah, I'm sure Coach K coached him up a little bit, but he was he was a giant, full-grown man bullying around a bunch of 19-year-old college kids. And, Correct. And never really had to struggle and before that look who look at his high school tapes like he was playing against a bunch of little kids yeah he's playing time. against us austin you can just say that he right was that's actually us. what was going through my mind that's funny um <laughs> so you know he's never had to guard you know anyone even close to really as big as him very often in his career mm-hmm. and let alone learn all the drop coverages and rotations and switches and i'm sure van gundy's defense isn't simple so, you know, he's going to be a step slow. He's what, like the heaviest guy in the NBA. I yeah. think he'll get there. And I, I do think their their age has a lot to do with it on, on the defensive end too. And I just kind of expected Van Gundy to, to have a little bit more of a positive effect than he's had. Yeah. And again, I can't, I can't stress enough how much better with Zion Williamson. Uh, and I say how much it's not by much, but the fact that it, it that it's above what we're seeing with Van Gundy, I think is, is, is significant, you know, mm-hmm. with Zion Williamson, Alvin Gentry in those 20, you know, nine games that he had him had one more victory. Right. So and, and Alvin Gentry knew he was his time was up there like they, they got a new GM. Uh, he had just had to deal with all that Anthony Davis stuff. And mm-hmm. anytime a new GM comes in, unless they're, you know, a successful team, they're going to want their own guy. So he was handcuffed the whole time. Yeah, no doubt. Well, Austin, we're coming to an end real quick, and I know that there was one topic that you wanted to bring up, and we'll just touch on that real quick. Mm -hmm. And people are kind of questioning why the Houston Rockets are all of a sudden looking to move on from DeMarcus Cousins after fully guaranteeing his contract. And we could talk about this more, obviously, when he does get picked Mm -hmm. up by another team. Um, There's no shortage of suitors that would like to have him. But Austin, what's your what's your insight on why the Rockets would fully guarantee his contract and then look to send him somewhere else? Well, put it simply as I can, it's because they wanted him to have a chance to go somewhere where he could compete for for mm-hmm. a title and wanted to give Christian Wood more opportunity to develop as their future big man and other other young guys to have more of a chance to to develop so they wanted to do right by demarcus cousins they even came out and said it in a statement because of his professionalism and leadership in the locker room they wanted to do right by him and and make sure he got his money and help him get to a a place that he wants to be so you know it's obviously a a very good look on that end from the houston rockets Mm -hmm. and the real reason i was wanting to talk about it was because i've heard a lot of chatter on social media and in the news that Oh, I'm sure DeMarcus Cousins did something to make them change their minds and and want to and you know want to get rid of him. And it's the exact basically opposite. making him out to be like you know what we would see for out of him in Sacramento and that right. narrative coming out of there. Exactly, like it's people that don't watch and know what they knew about him two or three years ago, mm-hmm. assuming things. And it's the really it's the exact opposite, you know. So not only that. If anyone knows anything about what's been going on with Houston is they've been spending this whole season trying to play, you know, cover up for how much James Harden has been bad mouthing how they treated him when he threw a fit and wanted to get out. That's and a good point. So, you know, they wanted to 
put on a, a, a good face and show future potential free agents like, hey, this guy was here for 30 games and look how we took care of him. We'll always yeah. take care of our players. And you know, they don't well, they don't want to have a reputation as a front office that that doesn't treat their stars right. So, you know, they, they had a chance they saw a chance to get some good publicity. They saw a chance to do right by a guy who deserved it and a, a, an opportunity where there was no reason to keep him on the team anymore if they're not going to compete. Yeah, absolutely. And and he, he has deserved it. And like like we talked about offline in our group chat that I, it wouldn't be a break in the game episode if I didn't mention the group right. chat. But um, we talked about how DeMarcus Cousins, they were wanting to do right by him. And mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense. And like you said, if you pay attention to the games and you pay attention to the way that the Rocket seasons has gone, anything good that is coming out of Houston, you can look at John Wall, you can look at DeMarcus mm-hmm. Cousins, and you can look at Christian Wood. And even Victor Oladipo's, uh, I mean, basically the island of misfit toys down in H-Town right now. And right. they're all conducting themselves extremely well. Right. It's two guys that are, are known as being buddies in college who both have kind of had their issues. Two players that feel like teams kind of their teams gave up on them and their fans were fed up with them. Guys that, you know, earned the reputations that they had for, for for a next a period of time. And then you've got like, Oh, like you said, with Oladipo, like he didn't really do anything to, to, to fall into that category other than get hurt and maybe to be a little too friendly with the Miami heat players in a pre, in a pregame warmup. But and one, and let Indiana know before that it came to a bad. Right, everybody hated Paul he George. Money. Yeah. He blindsided them, and mm-hmm. Oladipo's been telling them all along, like, "Hey, I'm not gonna t- tell you something that's not true. You know, this is what I want, and if they're not gonna give it to me, I'm not gonna stay." Yeah, so, I'm, I'm a max player. I want to be paid. Like, like I'm not and, saying that he is, but that's how he, you know, phrases. You know, it. and he's shown in Houston. He still shows flashes and moments where you see that he can be the type of guy that can take over a game and he, he doesn't do it enough and he he needs to be more consistent with that but he's definitely you know come back well from the injury and all the the drama that wasn't drama before the bubble and all that so you know maybe kind of was probably a good thing that these guys all ended up together because they were like hey nobody believes in us why don't we just go out here and and, and ball and they seem like they've all you know, done fairly well. Yeah, absolutely. And, sh- and just real quick, shout out to Steven Silas for the job that he's doing down there. Yes. The Rockets don't look good on the court, but for everything that he's been dealt with, I think that he's handled it mm-hmm. tremendously. But right. Austin, that's going to wrap up our 50th episode together. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, man, for being on the show and continuing yeah, to you. do this with me week in and week out, man. Man, it's it's an honor. I love doing it. I always tell you, and I mean it every time I tell you, it's, I look forward to it every day. So thank you for having me. Here's to 50 more and 50 more and 50 more and 50 more. There you go. And, and shout out to the NBA, there, excuse me, the Nothing But Net channel here on Dash Radio, where we cover NBA news. Shout out to the Off The Ball Network for giving us a chance to be able to work there with that yes. fantastic group of guys. Uh, shout out to the Game of Basketball for giving us something to do when we're not at work or hanging out mm-hmm. with our families. But Austin, man, this has been a great episode Um, for everybody who's listening. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, whether you're watching live or you're listening on, you know, the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. Thank you for all the love and support. Please just go download the podcast, which will be out soon after you hear this. And just Mm -hmm. keep listening every Monday and Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. And we'll get you guys home talking NBA basketball. But for my awesome co-host, Austin Carr, for myself, for the Off the Ball Network, for the Nothing But Net channel here on Dash Radio. 
for the game of basketball for our 50th episode and all the many more to come we have been the breaking the game show thank you guys so much for tuning in we'll catch up with you guys next time much love everybody have a good one Thank you.